1: Hey there Disney-files, thanks for tuning in. Just a little warning that whilst we like to keep things bright and light here at Dissecting Disney Ditties, occasionally we do drop in a bad word or two, so if you're listening at home or in the car with the kidlets, you might want to listen to this later. Enjoy.
2: We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet to record today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Ladies and gentlemen, the President will now be here to answer any questions. (laughs) Uh, well, thank you all for coming. I I do have time for a couple of questions. Over here, Mr.
1: President. Uh, President. Over here, Mr. President. Mr. Uh,
2: President. You, yeah, you there.
1: Stackers from CNN. The people want to know, what is the best Disney song?
2: That's all the time I have for today. Thank you very much. Mr.
1: Mr. President, you, you can't look you away. Can't Hello, hello. Welcome to Dissecting Disney Damn fucking. Hmm.
0: Roll sound. Rolling. Sound production take 2.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties with Stackers and Will. I'm Stackers,
2: and I'm Will, and on this show we'll be taking each Disney classic and breaking it down song by song in an attempt to answer the impossible question.
1: What is the best Disney song? It's a manhouse! A manhouse!
2: The show feels so bare bones when we uh when we it have does. to record it remotely. We've gotten so yeah. you know we, we have had the luxury of having our board which has all the sounds mixed in and
1: uh Yeah. And, and <laughs> Getting to back. basically listen to the podcast as we record it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, but now it's like we're doing uh DDD unplugged, you know. How are you stackers?
1: I'm really good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay.
2: I uh, got the dreaded vid, but uh no. I've, I've recovered and I'm uh I'm feeling good again, and, but and do not recommend. Why,
1: that's why we are separated. That is, that
2: is. Yeah, just to, just to be safe, guys, just to be safe.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm still dodging that bullet. Touch wood, touch. Mm, yeah, oh.
2: touch wood, touch wood. Touch
1: the entire dining table I'm sitting at. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but other than the vid, seen anything new lately?
2: Uh, oh, I watched the, I've been watching the Boba Fett um, Star Wars show, the book of Boba Fett. You into Star Wars at all? I'm gonna assume by your blank stare that no, you are not. That's fine. Someone I was actually at a
1: friend's place last night and I can't remember like how this got worked into conversation, but we're basically talking about like when you've just got no idea about something, and my friend Emma yeah. goes, It's like you and Star Wars and I was like, uh, Yeah, right. Yep. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well see, uh, we're constantly learning things about each other. That's something I now know about yeah. you. I know not to mention Star Wars. Um, I did go through a phase where I was just watching a bunch of movies and I watched the new the new James Bond. Have you seen that? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I saw that yeah. a while ago. I really liked it. Really liked it. Mm, me too. Um,
2: I thought it was a solid entry. Um, I'm a big Bond fan and I'm a big fan of Daniel Craig and I think it was a pretty good one. I think it was
1: all right. I don't think it quite compared to um, Skyfall and mm. the one that came after it. Is that Quantum?
2: Uh, no, uh, Spectre.
1: Spectre. I thought both of yeah. those were, were quite excellent. This one, I was like, it was, it was okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, m- not quite on the level of the other two, but it was still all right.
2: No, fair enough. Casino Royale is still my oh, peak yeah. of James Bond, and I just think, I think that movie is perfect <laughs> in every way. <laughs> mm. um,
1: but yeah, that's about it. How about yourself? you seen anything interesting? Um, no. Currently, Tim and I are binge-watching a hideous series called Manifest. Um, okay. It's terrible, but it's one of those shows that's it's so bad, but you're like, I want to know what happens. Yeah, And yeah. so we're binging our way through that. But other than that, I haven't seen anything new lately.
2: Okay, mm. oh, fair enough. Well, you know what um, we both have seen that is not new, but we've never ever heave, even heard of it before. <laughs> and that's today's episode, which is... Oliver, Oliver and, and Company! company. I, this movie, the existence of this movie will always be a complete mystery to me. How this managed to avoid my consciousness for 35 years mm. is utterly bizarre. I feel like we need to sort of go into the backstory of that. Yeah.
1: Do you um? Do, were you a big fan of Lamb Before Time?
2: I was a fan of Lamb Before Time, mm. yeah. I remember being traumatised by that as a child.
1: Yeah, because I, I really think, because these came out at the same time, I think it was really like, well, it wouldn't have been your choice because you would have been a fetus, but like yeah. your, the parents tool choice between like a movie about a kitten and a movie about dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, like which one yeah, are you yeah. gonna pick? Yeah. <laughs> no,
2: no, actually that's a good point. Yeah. Mm. And I was born by it when this movie came out. I believe this came out in eighty seven. Eighty eight. Um 88. So, yes, I was one year old and making choices about the movies that I <laughs> wanted to see. <laughs> um, so, it's good. It actually feels nice to be at a movie that I, I was alive for. So, yay. Yeah,
1: I I didn't write down what month this came out in. So, I was either about to be born or I had mm. just entered the, the world. Yeah. But, yeah, what did you think? I really
2: enjoyed it, but I don't know whether that's because it was a – like, it was – really if it was good or if it was just like this is a Disney I've never seen before and it's got a lot of really recognizable voices. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just having a good time for that. Like I did I really I've enjoyed watching it. I really enjoyed watching it. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really nice film as well. I didn't think it was incredibly yeah. life changing and there were certain things that I really didn't like, such as the animation. Yeah. Um yeah. I thought the animation in this was awful.
0: Yeah.
2: It's weird because <laughs> we're just about to hit the Renaissance, which is kind of known for its animation or that at least like their style of animation, they kind of refine throughout that period. And so it's mm. weird that we've got this like one movie that comes just before it that is very um, rustic in a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: Like just when they were singing, I noticed it the most that their mouths just weren't moving much. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind yeah. of just opening and shutting. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really strange. And I, I think I can explain why it looks like a bit okay. of an, an afterthought in that respect. Um, yeah. But but overall, I thought it was a really good movie, and um, yeah, I've got friends who are obsessed with this movie and think it's one mm. of the greatest ones ever. Shout out to Pat; um, he's the one that well, introduced me to this. And um, yeah,
2: because. Cause just to sort of give, sorry, you
1: finished first. Oh, and I was just going to say, um, some of my my girlfriends as well. They're like Oliver and Company. What did you think? And I was like, Oh god, it was okay. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's better than like some of the other pe- people's favourites that we've come across, where we're like, it doesn't hold up, guys. And they're like, no, but it's so good. Like <laughs> the rescue. At least was this so is good. enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. What
1: are some um, of the ones but, we haven't enjoyed?
2: Uh I don't know if it's that we haven't enjoyed them, but it's more like we were underwhelmed by them. Like, I know I was really underwhelmed by Fox and the Hound, um, which a lot of people remember really fondly. The Um, Rescuers,
1: Robin Hood.
2: The Rescuers. Yeah, Robin Hood. (laughs) I had a lot of people sort of berate me for my views on Robin Hood. Um, Yeah, but it is interesting because just for a little bit of like backstory and context here, we um discussed that we wanted to make this podcast, and we created our spreadsheet that broke all the movies down. We had all the information listed, and it was all of the movies. We went through a list, and every one that we knew was a musical, we uh, we went and we put into this spreadsheet. And I don't know if we started recording yet, but we were in the, the sort of early stages of discussing when we were going to record. And you messaged me and said, have you ever heard of this movie, Oliver & Co.? And I was like, I've never heard of that movie. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And he sent me a link to the page. And this is the exact movie that young Will would have, like, frothed for. Yeah. So, as a young person, I was very into Billy Joel. He was my absolute favourite singer. Yeah. Um, my auntie has a story about how, so when I was much younger, maybe it was like four or five, um, we lived with my grandparents and one of my aunties for a short time, just between houses. Okay. And she has a story that like she would come out, it was some ridiculously early time on a Sunday morning. It was like 5am and I was like scream scream singing Billy Joel <laughs> at the top of these stairs. <laughs> and <laughs> so like. I I was all over Billy Joel. You know, some kids loved you know the Wiggles. I loved uh, you know Billy scenes from an Italian restaurant. <laughs> like know? I also loved
1: Billy Joel, but I feel like it was at a much later stage in my life than yeah. You.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my uh, my dad had a cassette version of River of Dreams, um, which has a song on it called "We Didn't Start the Fire." And every day on the way to school, I knew I knew I could get in two runs of we didn't start the fire but because it was a cassette you'd have to like take it out of the cassette player <laughs> to put it in backwards and then like fast forward it to get it back to the start <laughs> it was um it was a time it was a time so I would have like jumped at the chance to see this movie if I'd like if I knew that it existed because yeah. it has Billy Joel in it like it's insane well
1: yeah as a fellow Billy Joel enthusiast um mm. yeah I it shocked me to find out he was in a Disney movie, and I never knew about it as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is just
1: kind of I don't know. Is he? He doesn't ever talk about it. I guess Billy Joel hadn't
2: voice acted or acted before this movie, if I'm remembering correctly. No. Yeah, and after this, he only ever appeared as himself in things. Mm. So. It, it feels really strange to me that this is his one and only shot at voice acting. And I think he does a pretty good job. He
1: does a totally great job. You don't sort of sit there thinking, that's not an actor.
2: Yeah, really? absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I really like his I, accent. And that's why they cast him as well. Because he has that like yeah. really thick um, New York accent. And it works yeah. really, really well for Dodger. Is he Dodger? Yeah,
2: he's, he's Dodger. Dodger yeah. Works yeah. really well. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, he's not the only sort of big name voice actor in this. Because we've got like Bette Midler. Makes an appearance in it. We've got Cheech Marin. Yeah. Um, I think those are the big three, but it's just, it's very 80s in that those are some of the big name voice actors that we have.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the, um, Age of Eisner.
2: Yeah, yeah, Let's absolutely. Let's chuck some
1: celebrities in the movie. That'll well, be brilliant. Um, I remember
2: that's what we discussed in the Great Mouse Detective episode was that was his big pitch for that bar scene. Was yeah, he wanted, he wanted Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson to do it. And so he finally got his wish. Yes, well done, Michael. he did.
1: And, you know, he definitely <laughs> solidified that with Aladdin, which is coming in a few films.
2: Yeah, yeah. But um, just, uh, yeah, stunned that it exists. D- really liked it that's that's sort of my summary of this movie
1: all right so uh, before we jump into any mm. of the details what are what are we drinking
2: um okay so today's drink uh, I'm calling the streets of gold and it's a take on a New York Sour. It's kind of like a New York sour, but it's also kind of like a Manhattan. But if a Manhattan was sour, I don't know. If you know cocktails, you'll know roughly what I'm trying to say. Um, but essentially what we've got here is we've got... Um, 60 mils of either a rye whiskey or a bourbon. I went with a bourbon, but a rye whiskey would be just, as, uh, just, just fine as well. Uh, we have 30 mils of lemon juice and 30 mils of simple syrup. Uh, then we have, <coughs> excuse me. Then we have two dashes of Angostura bitters, and if you've got orange bitters as well, chuck a dash of orange bitters in it too. Uh, and then you're gonna crack an egg white into um, the shaker as well. So you put all those ingredients into a shaker. Uh, but before we shake it properly, we're gonna do what's called a dry shake. Now a dry shake is when we're just gonna shake all the ingredients together without any ice. We're just shaking the ingredients. You do it a lot with. Um, uh, drinks that have egg white in them because it gets the egg white really sort of foamy and meringue um, So we shake it for a short time um, without any ice. Then we're going to add ice to it and shake it up again and then we're going to pour it, uh, strain it out into a uh, into a glass. Now I've gone for a rocks glass. When, like I said, the, the egg white sort of turns really thick and foamy and meringue That's going to form this sort of top layer and then you're just going to grab some, uh, any sort of edible gold glitter and you're just going to spray Sprinkle some of that on top of the meringue, and then you have the streets of gold.
1: I'm sorry. Can we back up?
0: Last week, when
1: we were in person, you made me drink something that I would (laughs) never, ever. (laughs) ever order again. It was basically yeah, yeah. an iced tea with alcohol and I hated every drop of it that I drank in that one sip I took before I just left it at your place. This yep. week, yeah, you end up coming up with a cocktail that yeah. I sound – it sounds like I would absolutely devour, yet <laughs> you did not send me the details before we started recording.
2: How dare you, William? I promise. How dare you? I will make you one next time you come around you and we'll just pretend that we've one. got the next cocktail. You better,
1: because that just <laughs> sounds delicious. Yeah,
2: <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, just uh, that's the Streets of Gold, guys. Enjoy.
1: I really need to buy some um, gold, well, just glitter for drinks, but I seem to only yeah. be able to find it from overseas and it's wicked expensive.
2: Yeah, it can be really pricey. I um, I found like liquid versions, but again, they're quite expensive yeah. um, and I don't want anything that is going to add a lot of flavour, and they all tend to be quite flavoured as well. So, yeah, there's a market for it. A hint, hint. If anyone's out there wants to sponsor us with, uh, you know, glitter for yeah, drinks,
1: glitter for drinks, donate to our Patreon at DDD <laughs> yeah. with <stackers> and well <laughs> Okay, so um, the year is 1988, a glorious year, because it's the year Mm. that you and I were both born.
2: Yay! The world is blessed with our existence.
1: (laughs) The film is called Oliver and Company, and the score is by J.A.C. Redford. The music and lyrics are by a host of different people, Mm. including Mm. Howard Ashman, Barry Mann, Don Hartman, Charlie Midnight... Dean Pritchford, Don Snow, Jack Feldman, Bruce Sussman, Barry Manilow, Ron Rocha, and Robert Minkoff, all of which I will get to later. Basically, like
2: five fucking songs in the show. <laughs>
1: it's basically like the predecessor to SpongeBob the Musical. So right, basically okay. no song is written by the same team. Every single song wow. is written by a different team of writers because okay. we're in the age of Eisner, and there's some pretty big names in here. So... Eisner was basically all about celebrity which we definitely see in some films to come and quite a few of the the people involved in this film both actors and um, writers were contracted to only do Disney films for a while. Uh, most of them, like, Bette Midler had a Disney contract for a while. She Mm. did a lot of, like, live action-y things, which is where we got Hocus Pocus.
2: Yeah, okay. Um,
1: But they they were big on let's get celebrities and let's get them to sign exclusive contracts to Disney works for a number of years. Not quite the extent of Walt Disney signing up the original actress um, who sang Snow White, whose name was Adriana Casalotti, who Walt Disney made her sign a lifetime contract (laughs) for one film. This is more, you know, for the next couple of years, you're just going to do Disney products. Yeah. So we'll get back to that later. In the cast, we've got some pretty big names. We've got Joey Lawrence voicing Oliver who is quite a famous actor, yet none of the stuff I read was recognisable. And I think I was confusing him for someone else. Maybe Jonathan Taylor Thomas. (laughs) I was like, he's super famous. And yes, he's done a lot of stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking of someone else. Um, Dodger Dodger was voiced by Billy Joel, who we know is a, basically a pop superstar.
2: Yeah. Insert
1: song. Um, Mm. Tito is voiced by Cheech Marin, who quite famously was part of the comic duo Cheech and Chong for a long time. He a also- very
2: not Disney duo. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> An interesting choice.
1: He also um, ends up in The Lion King later as well, and yeah. he's got a very, very famous, very distinguish- distinguishable Spanish accent, despite the fact that he is actually not Spanish and does not speak Spanish. Um, huh. mm. Einstein is voiced by Richard Mulligan, Francis was voiced by Roscoe Lee Brown. And then the interesting one for me was there's a dog in the show named Rita who is mm-hmm. voiced by a woman named Cheryl Lee Ralph. But yep. her singing voice is done by a woman named Ruth Poynter who was a, a singer-songwriter who did you – know, she wasn't like a superstar or anything. But Cheryl Lee Ralph was definitely a singer because she was the original Dina in Dreamgirls, the original oh. Muzzy in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Uh, and wow. I'm talking the Broadway shows here. And then she was also um, a character in Sister Act two. She played Florence, but I can't p- pinpoint who that was. But she was in Sister Act two, so she definitely could sing. And I'm not quite sure what happened there.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a really strange choice.
1: Yeah, a really strange choice. Um, also in the cast, we've got Bette Midler as Georgette, who has, a sen- pardon me, who has has a sensational show number about halfway through the show, uh, the movie. And mm-hmm. Bett Midler, if you don't know who that is, ask your mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, she is Winifred and Hocus Pocus, but she yeah. definitely yeah. her stardom extends, extends far beyond the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, her and Sarah Jessica Parker and... Oh, my God. Third oh, name. Uh, I feel so bad. She was also in Sister Act. Uh, she's ooh. a brilliant actress and her name is... Kathy, N- N- is it Najami? Nad- Najimi?
2: That sounds about right.
1: Najimi, something like that. Um, yeah, that's to me. That's like their careers peaked there. I never watched Sex in the City, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're... I also
2: um, I also discovered who Florence is in uh, Sister Act two. If you're interested, oh, who is it? Uh, it's the the disapproving mum.
1: Oh, of. Um...
2: Of the main sort of...
1: Oh, what's her name?
2: ...student female reader.
1: Yeah. Um, for, oh God, she's played by Lauren Hill. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she doesn't sing in that, but she definitely sang in throw the Modern Million Dream girls So mm. I don't know yeah. what happened. What happened? Very Not interesting it. choice. Uh, songs that you might recognise. Uh, the one that comes to me from people who I know love this show and also for me the most memorable song in the show is Why Should I Worry? Mm. Apart from that, there might not be any, would you say any other standout songs from this? Um, I
2: mean, all of them are enjoyable and, you know, not to get into spoilers, but I rated them all fairly positively, mm. um, but there's nothing that really stands out. It's all very 80s. It feels very, um, uh, like, if you've, if you've seen the live action um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the early 90s, like, a lot of the music felt like it belonged in those scenes. Mm. Um, Yeah, just very 80s, very New York.
1: It is very of its time. There's a lot of product Mm, placement in this movie, which we haven't seen before, and it definitely is trying to scream, like, for its time, this is a current, relevant movie, Um, which the 101 Dalmatians was kind of trying to do that, but this does it in a much more sort of commercial way, I guess. Yeah. So it does feel kind of – the music does feel quite dated, but that is definitely probably the – that would be the single, and it's also sung by Billy Joel, which makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And he sings it so well. I mean, I didn't expect anything left, yeah. but far out. <laughs> that be, man can you'd just You'd be pretty a disappointed
1: tune. if Billy Joel was the one that couldn't sing in this yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> so, to give you the, the history of what's happening at Disney right now, I'm actually going to go backwards a few years and catch us up because there's a few things I should have mentioned in previous episodes that I either lightly touched on or completely just skipped so okay in 1984 and i think i did mention this the animators are shipped out of the main building of disney so this is the animators have been in the main building of disney since walt disney was alive and because the animation arm is dying so hard they ship them off to this decrepit building in Glendale and it's basically a bunch of portables stuck together. There's footage yeah. of the animators in there. It's it's terrible. Yeah. And they literally thought any day now we're just all going to be fired so they used to just kind of muck around in there. Michael Eisner and Katzenberg move into the building, move into hmm. Disney, okay? So Eisner's the big head honcho. Katzenberg's basically second in charge. Katzenberg starts... um holding all of these meetings for animators at 6am, 6am meetings, 6am meetings. Uh, Eventually he moved them to 8am, but on Sundays. So (laughs) animators had to come in at 8am on a Sunday. And he became aware that animators weren't quite happy with the way things were going at Disney. And Katzenberg basically held these meetings to ask, you know, what's what's going on? Be honest. Um, They basically said, you know it's bullshit the way that anima- animator is being treated and I don't think you quite understand how how things work. Um, you know, we are not we don't feel like we're creating or being given the opportunity in the budget to create high art anymore. And he basically said, I don't care about Academy Awards, I just care about money. Yeah, that made okay. him really, really popular. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's <laughs> so, a very
2: 80s mentality. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and I think uh, Eisner himself has a pretty famous quote about like we have no responsibility to be educational or... You know, oh, great. Yeah, it's, okay. it's like, yeah, they were two really great people. So, yeah, fun guys, fun guys. Yeah. Um, Katzenberg brings in brings in a guy named Pete Schneider to be the vice president, and he's basically head of the animation department now.
2: Mm.
1: And he wants to change everything, and he's got this very like, let's change this and this and this mentality. And the animators are like, whoa, 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 what's going on? He was the one that changed the name of Basil ba- Basil of Baker Street to the Great Mouse Detective.
2: Right, yeah, So he's the one
1: that they sent the facts around and he flipped out. No one ever owned up to it. So things aren't really going great at the moment. So The Great Mouse Detective came out the year prior to this um, and it was beaten by Spielberg and Don Bluth's American Tail by over $22 million. So it's not doing too well. Um, Basically... When it comes to Oliver and Company, Peter Schneider says, okay, what I want us to do is instead of us just allocating teams, like animation teams, we're going to pick our, like, head animators, you're just going to pick your own teams, and then you're going to have, like, design battles (laughs) between yourselves. So, basically, animators who didn't have, like, a lot of original ideas lost out because they weren't chosen to be part of the teams. And then um, he was like, I want, like, creative debate. And what was happening is animators were made to, like, animate almost full scenes and present them and then, like, one would be picked and everyone else would just chuck out all of their work. Shit. And so there was a lot of wasted time happening around this film. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically he also... started to allow a lot of revisions of drawings so he was told you know you can't really revise you know make big changes once something is animated because we're Mm. still we're still mainly hand drawing here with a little bit of cgi which they use a lot in this film for backgrounds but if you want to change things you know someone's got to go back and redraw that it's not like now we just click a mouse and move an arm you know
2: yeah yeah
1: and he was like no 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 multiple revisions are totally fine. So so much work is getting chucked in the bin. Everyone's getting really upset about it. An interview is held on 60 Minutes and you can find this interview where um, Eisner is sitting in a movie theatre watching, I think it's like pencil drawings of Oliver and the woman that's interviewing him says, can you really afford to to still be animating at Disney? Because at this time, basically Walt Disney World is exploding they've introduced a michael jackson ride they've introduced a star wars section of the park yeah, right. it's not the star wars section that we know now well mm. you don't know because you haven't been there but now it's uh. like a huge <laughs> star wars branch but yeah, yeah. at the time there was a little star wars thing introduced we have got michael jackson land the parks are exploding and making millions and millions of dollars we've also got touchstones pictures which is taking off and funnily yeah. enough last night i went to the melbourne zoo and watched 10 things i hate about you which oh, is very Touchstone cool. Touchstone Pictures. Yep. Um, so they've got Touchstone's Pictures, and that's taking off with a bunch of great films. Merchandising is through the roof. Um, it's super successful. And then we've got the animation, which is, you know, the movies we've had Black Culture and which lost $20 yeah. million dollars yeah. or something. <laughs> and we've got The Great Mouse Detective, which was eaten alive by Bluth. So really, it's like, why is Disney still making animated mm. movies when everything else is so successful? So this. Interviewer: interviewer said, can you afford to be doing this? And this was the one good thing he said, which was, no, we can't, but we have to because that's the legacy of Disney.
2: Right, okay.
1: So there's no money, but they're still making these films. And Katzenberg comes out and says, starting with Oliver and Company, Disney is going to start releasing one new film every year and that's the promise we're going to make.
0: Oh, shit. So, it's despite
1: okay. the fact they haven't had any recent success, he's like, we're going to start pumping out movies. And that's yeah. because Pinocchio has come out on VHS and it's super successful. Right. So, they start going, you know, we'll start the vault, we'll start releasing films, but they work out very quickly once they start releasing the good ones, inverted commas, they're going to run out of stuff very soon. Yeah. So, Katzenberg's like, we need to start churning out movies so that mm. we can start churning out. VH uh, videos because we're going to run out of stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so to get uh these movies going, because obviously it means we're going to have to start like launching multiple movies at the same time because movies take more than you know ten months to make. Mm. He introduces something called the Gong Show. Yeah. And so, have you heard about this?
2: I've heard about it briefly. Yes.
1: So basically, people, anyone really, could come into the office and pitch a show. Yeah, and it would get a green light or a red light. So things that were instantly greenlit were things like Pocahontas, yep. um, Rescuers Down Under, oh God, Beauty and the Beast. Yep, red light for Little Mermaid because it was right. too much like Splash.
2: Right. So okay. they've got
1: this show called Splash. It's super successful, and and Katzenberg's like, we don't need another mermaid thing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Funnily enough, that's going to be the next movie that comes.
2: Out. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyway. We get to 1988. So, the animation department is struggling hardcore. Mm -hmm. Um, And out... Do you know what big, big movie came out in 1988? It was Disney and Spielberg. Uh, It was a live-action animation blend, and it wasn't space.
2: Oh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Bingo. Right. So...
1: Spielberg, after he's done An American Tale with Bluth, obviously Disney's rung Spielberg and be like, hey, we saw you did that thing. You want to do a thing with us? Please be our friend. So Spielberg uh, can be found saying, you know, Disney was a huge influence in my life and um, Mm. I really want to do something. So Disney teams up with him to make Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which ends up being a very, very expensive film to make. Yeah. And basically we've got this disgruntled animation department at Disney and Katzenberg goes, hmm, you know, it's Spielberg. It's a big deal. I don't think our rookie animators are up to it and hires a brand <laughs> new animation team from London to work on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> 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 so Fuck.
2: okay. How, how, how brutal is that? Jeez. Like,
1: you guys keep working on your little cat movie. Like, we're all good. So at the time, Oliver and Company is being made and Little Mermaid is being made at the same time. Okay. Mm, Yeah. So it gets to a point where Roger Rabbit is costing so much money Mm. that Katzenberg flies everyone over to, I think it's to London. Yeah. To tell them, we have no more money. So basically, do what (laughs) you can with Oliver and Company, finish it, because that's coming out first. And we're freezing the little mermaid because we just don't have money for it. Yeah. Yeah. And. Then flies everyone home on like private jets and helicopters and all the like. Wonder,
2: <laughs> wonder why we don't have any money, guys.
1: <laughs> and the animator's like, what the fuck? Like,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We've got no money. Now get in your limousine to your private jet. So Spielberg is on board yeah. and they're making Roger Rabbit. They've got to finish it because it's got a stellar cast and it's very, very expensive to make. It's it holds the...
2: up actually. Have you seen it recently?
1: Um, I haven't seen it recently, but when I was researching this, I was like, I do need to watch it again. Mm. It is. It was the first movie ever to properly incorporate animation into live action. So we'd sort of seen it before in films like Mary Poppins, But if you watch Mary Poppins, a lot of it is the actors dancing in front of animation and then, like, a penguin appears beside them. Yeah. Um, Or there'd been a couple of, like, little short things where, like, there might be a dancer with a little animated bird or something. But Mm. when you compare that to Roger Rabbit or what came after it, which was Space Jam eventually, and you think about how integrated that animation is, it's worlds away from Mary Poppins.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, anyway... Everything's kind of on hold and the Oliver team is like, well, well, we'll just do what we can do. Roger Rabbit comes out and is an absolute smash hit at the box office. Mm. It gets Oscar nominations. It makes millions and millions and millions for the Disney um, animation department. And all of a sudden they go, okay, We've got money again. You can keep working on Little Mermaid. Let's finish Oliver and Company, but let's import a couple of the top uh, animators from Roger Rabbit over to help you out. Right. So Oliver comes out six months later at the same time as Land Before Time. So Michael Eisner is still keeping an eye on Don Bluth. Yep. Don Bluth has announced Land Before Time, this dinosaur movie, and Eisner's like, game on, we're going to release a movie on the same day.
2: The same day.
1: The same day. Fuck. So Oliver and Company and Land Before Time come out on the same day. And, well, that went well. Yeah. <laughs> so Oliver and Company actually came out on top on the opening weekend. Yeah, okay. But that changed very, very, very quickly. Like, yeah. <laughs> Land yeah. Before Time just ate it alive. Yeah. Um, and then the following year, Don Bluth releases... All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is a film about cats and dogs, just like Oliver and Company was about cats and dogs. So he's like, well, I can do a cat and dog movie too. Look at this. (laughs) (laughs) And then later on they're going to release The Little Mermaid and he's like, I can do a princess movie too. Look at that, (laughs) Anastasia.
2: He's basically buying The Office across from Michael Eisner and just like mooning him every day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it does look like at this point um, Don Bluth is going to – eat disney alive like he's Mm. had two quite successful films in a row now um Mm. and we're just very very lucky about what happens next otherwise it probably would have just gone you know the other way yeah
2: yeah yeah
1: so um that's all the like where we are now so there's sort of like some big changes we know we've got people like um ron clements and uh no Musker and Clements, Ron
2: Clements and John
1: Musker Musker, um, are involved here, and they're definitely working on Little Mermaid, which was their pitch. Mm. So um, yeah, things are (laughs) welcome to the Renaissance. (laughs) I'm so excited. Anyway, so this film comes out, and it's like it's like a, a sort of successful, but you land before time eats it alive. Yeah. So that's where we are now.
2: It's interesting because uh, you mentioned that Howard Ashman was somewhat involved in this as well. And I think mm-hmm. this is the first time that he has been involved in a Disney that we've discussed. Yeah. Um, but he becomes quite uh, prolific in the... Development and production of both Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And, and I to suppose an extent, to an extent, Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. But he unfortunately Jinx. passes away at that point, but we'll get to that.
1: Yeah. So basically, Howard Ashman's involvement is just in the opening song, which is called Once Upon a Time in New York City. Yeah. And um, he had basically co written Little Shop of Horrors with Alan Mencken, which opened yeah. in 1982. And that's how he kind of got his name on this film. Mm. So he wrote the lyrics for that, um, and then because of that foot in the door, he was able to bring on Alan Menken for The Little Mermaid um, the following year, or yeah. really at the same time as this. So um, yeah, but it was interesting to see his name because I always thought it was just those three movies, but in fact it was four. This is number four.
2: Yeah, mm. that's really that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So, at this point in the show, normally, we'd go into the (laughs) original story. However, I got very, very excited about researching this show and did quite a lot of research into like, what's going on at Disney? I want to know all the stuff and like, who's in the cast and who wrote the music? And it wasn't until five minutes before we started recording this, I realized, I forgot to read the book. <laughs> like, and then I thought maybe I can do a quick speed read, but it turns out Oliver Twist is 387 pages long. So. Ah,
2: oh, dickens.
1: <laughs> this is going to be uh, a little different. So uh, let's start with uh, what uh, the synopsis of the movie.
0: Uh, uh,
1: So, basically, for anyone who hasn't seen Oliver and Company, it is very, very, very loosely based on Oliver Twist, which Mm. is a very, very, very similar storyline to Oliver the musical. Mm. However, the movie is quite different. So, the movie is um, about an orphaned kitten who eventually is named Oliver, but has Mm. no name for the first, like, 20 minutes of this film. And he is uh, waiting in a box to be adopted with a bunch of other kittens and in a very, very heartbreaking scene that moved me far more emotionally than the entire movie of Encanto did. (laughs) Oliver is left behind and it rains and his box gets destroyed and there's a song happening and I got very emotional.
2: (laughs) Angie was very distressed. (laughs) She was like, why am I watching this movie?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was so sad. Anyway, so he eventually uh, meets up with a dog named Dodger who helps, uh, they sort of steal some sausages together and then Dodger runs away and eventually Oliver finds him and he ends up in this gang mm. of, cat of, oh, they're all dogs, a they're gang dogs. of dogs um, that are all owned by a fairly down-low nobody named Fagin who somehow is involved with a super boss yeah. <laughs> named, oh, what's his name? Uh, Sykes. Sykes. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, named Sykes, who looks like he's some sort of like multi-millionaire mm. dude in a limo. Yep. Uh, he owes him a lot of money, so he uses the dogs to do stuff. Um, Oliver, in the meantime, gets found and adopted by a super rich little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decide they're going to use the steal the cat and use it as leverage to get a ransom from the little girl's family to get the money to pay Fagin, uh, to pay Sykes so Fagan doesn't get killed. And of course, the little girl shows up to find her kitten and offers her piggy bank with a couple of dollars in it. And it's very, oh, it was very quite cute. Quite sweet. Quite um, sweet. The uh, the dogs try and rescue Oliver. He's like, "What the fuck, bro? I was really happy. I was living in the lap of luxury." And they're like, "No, mm. come back to the gang." And it's all very, very it's all very strange. In the end, Oliver ends up back with the girl, question mark? Why yep. don't, I don't remember the end of this film. and They all yeah. live happily ever after at the end. They, so, eh.
2: Except for Sykes, who has quite a violent death in, this, uh, in yeah. this movie. Like it's. I think this is probably... I'm trying to think. I don't actually, off the top of my head, aside from Radigan, I don't know that we've had many actual deaths of the, of the antagonists
1: in these movies. In Snow White, she fell off a cliff.
2: In Snow there was yes, and in Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty, she died when she was the dragon. I think the dragon. Yes, yeah, so like... he stabbed
1: her in the heart with the yeah. sword.
2: So some of those like older older movies, there was a couple of those older movies, but yeah, like even like Corella Deville, who has been probably the most evil villain up until now, um, didn't die at the end of it. She just crashed and stood there shouting yeah. at them. <laughs> um, so yeah, quite a violent death for from uh, for old Sykesy.
1: Would you like to explain how he dies?
2: Yeah, so there's this um, chase scene at the end. Uh, Basically, they end up in the subway tunnels and the the subway tunnels takes them, the the train line takes them out over into the Brooklyn Bridge, I think it is, and then uh, there's an oncoming train and he doesn't steer out of the way because he's stuck (laughs) on the rails and gets taken out by this train.
1: Just like Dumbo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, RIP, Jumbo. So, um, how familiar are you with Oliver the musical? Because it's basically the book.
2: Oh, Look, I I did Oliver back in high school.
1: What do you remember?
2: Um, Oliver gets sold to someone uh, and then he runs away, I think. And then he gets involved with this gang and then he tries to rob someone but ends up being saved by them and taken to their house to live. And then he's kidnapped and... Bill Sykes kills Nancy. I remember that. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. And yeah. then, uh, and then I think Sykes is killed as well, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and Fagin gets away.
1: Um. So the book is basically that. You know, he's born in the workhouse. They have that food, glorious food, scene. Except mm. the reason that he asks, please, sir, can I have some more, is because the kids place a bet and it's like the shortest straw has to ask for more food. Right. Um, and that's the reason that he's sold. And then, yeah, he joins the gang and with Fagin and he's like the innocent mm. one that's like, I didn't know we were going to steal. Um, <laughs> he gets adopted. He gets kidnapped. Uh, I don't know if Nancy dies in the book, question mark, she probably does. But the yeah. biggest difference is at the end of the book, Oliver gets shot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um he doesn't die. He gets shot in the arm and then rescued by the family that adopted him and all lives happily ever after.
2: I mean, look, at the 1800s, a shot in the arm was probably a death <laughs> sentence anyway. So <laughs> no one, no one's getting out of that.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, compared to a story about a kitten who gets adopted by a rich family, which is basically Annie Warbucks, but with cats. Um...
2: Yeah, yeah. She actually looked a bit like Annie, Orphan <laughs> Annie at the end. She was wearing a red dress, had like the red hair. I was like, oh, I see what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so originally she was meant to be Penny from The Rescuers. Oh, I can see. A,
2: I suppose I see a similarity in character design there.
1: Yeah, so they were going to make it sort of part of the same universe and then they realised it wasn't really going to work and they scrapped that idea. But originally it was going to be Penny.
2: They also realised that The Rescuers is a terrible movie and they don't want people to remember it. So... <laughs>
1: It's not as bad as a sequel. Like I would I would watch that fifty times before you make me sit through yeah. that horrible Australian sequel.
2: Uh speaking of, um Patreon.com slash dissecting Disney ditties.
1: <laughs> I don't think we've never have we done the Rescue of Center? No. No,
2: we haven't. We've yeah, never who knows?
1: No, nope, no. Nope, nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So so that's basically it. And uh I think there's a lot more to tell once we jump into the song. So why don't yeah. we do that?
2: Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will jump into the songs. Hey, guys. Will here from, well, the podcast you've been listening to. As always, we'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners, um, all of you, every single one of you. We couldn't do the show without you. Thank you so much. Um, to help us grow the show, tell all your friends about us. Tell, us what, tell them what we're doing. Get them on board the the, the Disney ditties train. Um, if you would like to support us financially, you can at patreon.com slash dissecting Disney, where you can uh, get early access to episodes as well as bonus episodes and some other fun stuff that we've got in the works for 2022. Uh, now's a good time to get in on that train. Stackers would also like to let you know that she has a cabaret coming up. At It is called Life According to the Mouse and it is about all things Disney. April 25th to 30th, 30th at the Butterfly Club in Melbourne. You can find information at thebutterflyclub.com and information will be posted on our social media as well. That's all, guys. Uh, let's get back into it. Thank you.
1: Beautiful ad read, Will.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I I, uh, I know exactly what I'm doing now after almost a year of doing well it. Well
1: done. Well done. <laughs> okay, song number one, Once Upon a Time in New York City. Do a once upon
2: Huey and <laughs> Huey News.
1: Huey News
2: and the News, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Huey Lewis and the News. What a what a choice to open this uh, very eighties Disney movie.
1: Perfect, it's absolutely perfect. This song actually I thought was quite perfect for. What's that noise?
2: That's uh, my dog Maggie. It's all right. Now we're stopped.
1: This song I thought was quite perfect for this montage. I really liked it. I really liked it lyrically. And of course yeah. I did because it's Howard Ashman.
2: Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. It, it sort of set the scene really well and it like, yeah, it was very effective. Yeah, because as we were saying, the, the visuals are quite distressing and quite like there's a lot happening and it's it seems like a very upbeat number to have overlaying that, but it kind of works. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that the lyrics sort of uh, help that along because it's, it, it's not – complex lyrically but it does it just has some really nice um like what am I trying to say like parallels with the visuals that we get
1: yeah I think it does too because it sort of starts out like you know it's a it's a town for opportunity and then it's kind of like not the dream it's very fame I think Mm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah 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 um because there's like some great lyrics like um, if it's always once upon a time in New York City, why does nightfall leave you feeling so alone? Because mm. New York City is known for being, you know, such a hustle, bustle town. It's the and then city that never sleeps. Really, it is. But um, then again, it's easy to feel alone in a, in a town a city full of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did appreciate the line when it's raining cats and dogs outside. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> on the nose, but
2: yeah. <laughs> I think we need a little bit of that, uh, you know, at this point in time.
1: So, this song was written by Howard Ashman and Barry Mann. So, Howard Ashman was the lyricist for Little Shop of Horrors, which mm-hmm. already was open on Broadway, and later on, we know him for writing the lyrics for The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and a bit of Aladdin. Mm. Uh, before he passed away, which we will talk a lot about Howard Ashman in the next few episodes, which is why I'm not going to delve into Howard Ashman and get all upset about it just yet.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) The music was written by Barry Mann. And have you seen Beautiful, the musical?
2: Uh, Yes.
1: Do you remember this, that duo that – Carol King is friends with?
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Okay, so that's Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil.
2: Right, okay, yeah. yeah. So
1: he ended up marrying her. And for anyone who's seen Beautiful, you'll be like, oh my God, that guy. Yes, that guy. Mm. Uh, most fam- famously wrote, we got to get out of this place for yeah. the animals. The animals, yeah. But huge, huge singer-songwriter and really big um, friend of Carol King and married to Cynthia Weil. So they co-wrote this opening song, which is why it's so catchy.
2: Mm. Yeah. And it is very catchy. It's a very fun sort of uh, opening number. It does some very fun things musically, um, mm. which I'll sort of find a snippet of something I really love and put it in there. <laughs> um, but yeah. So what did you rate it, Stackers?
1: I gave it. I was a bit wrong when I said it was catchy, but I think it was It was just very appropriate. Uh, like, yeah. I really liked it. It's boppy. Yeah, it's boppy. It's very mm. boppy. So I gave it three for music. hmm Three for lyrics, Yep. five for animation because I just bloody loved this scene. I thought it was – I was so moved by it d- despite the fact I had just met Oliver. There was no dialogue. I think the song and the sequence just beautifully encapsulated, you know, how cute the kittens were and then how tragic it is that there's one – Kitten left. Yeah, so I gave it a five for animation. I gave it a two for contribution because yep. I think the sequence would have worked without the song. I don't think the song was the vitally important part in this. Yep, because it was—it's the way the '80s stuff was recorded, like '80s pop music was recorded, where it's kind of like they're singing with like so much reverb and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't quite carry the narrative that it, it could have. If kind it was so of sounds
2: clearer. like industrial, almost like it's yeah. got a sort of clangy like sound to it.
1: Mm. Mm. So, I gave it a two for contribution. I gave it a one for cake because I I don't really remember it. It was like, once upon a time in New York City or mm. something. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I rated it
2: fairly similar. So, I gave it a four for music mm-hmm. and a three for lyrics because, um, yeah, it's just a fun bop, as we we're saying. It's not super catchy, um, but it is a fun bop. Um, I gave it a four for animation, a three for contribution, and a one for cake.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Good job. But that's, so um, that song was sung by Huey Lewis, who also was a huge pop star at the time and was part of Huey Lewis and the... The News. The News. I want to say The Squares. Yeah. <laughs> but did he sing Hip to be Square? Was that Huey Lewis and The News? Uh, I, th-
2: I believe so, yeah. He also yeah, sang that's... The Power of Love for yes. Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so huge, huge pop star mm. there in your number. Cool. Um,
2: And then we fairly quickly get right into the story with uh, Oliver meeting Dodger. This is actually a good point, because you mentioned it just before. Who gives him the name Oliver? The girl. Right. Okay. Because I just don't remember him ever. Like, I just remember suddenly he has a name tag with Oliver, and I think Angie said to me at one point, "How does she know his name's Oliver?" So no, he must have just called her that. That's um, and I, yeah. I
1: can't remember why she calls him Oliver, but she names the kitten. So before then, yeah. he doesn't have a name.
2: Okay, there you go.
1: And somehow. They managed to get to that point without Dodger saying, like, what's your name, kid? Yeah. I guess because he doesn't care.
2: And it didn't, but it didn't like feel weird to me either. Like it just was uh, that was my (laughs) thing. I was like, how does she know his name's Oliver? Nope, she (laughs) named him Oliver. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, Oliver meets Dodger and they steal the sausages, as you'd said. Uh, and then we get like this fun chase scene with Billy Joel singing, Why Should I Worry?
1: This is such a banger.
2: I love this song. I love it so much. It's I, such um, a pop. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I, uh, I had to argue with myself to not give it flat fives because I just love it so much. <laughs> like, but that is just me loving the song. It's not It's not perfect, but it's me just being like, this song's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so having said that, I did give it a five for music. Um, I right,
1: a, okay. Five,
2: <laughs> a five for music and a four for lyrics uh, I gave it a four for animation because I think the the um, the sequence is quite fun, but you are right. the the animation of them actually singing is not good and that's the negative that I find in it. But I think the the sequence you know, with all the the, the pipe being lifted and like the cars they're jumping over and all this and stuff. I think all that's very fun. so I gave that a four. Yeah right. um, I gave it a three for contribution and a three for cake.
1: Right. Um, Charlie Midnight, also a really huge name, um, wrote a bunch of stuff on a lot of Grammy award winning albums, including the bodyguard. He did stuff with Trini Mitchell. Right, he's done okay. stuff with Barbara Streisand and Andrea Bocelli. So he's, he's pretty, pretty huge. So again, we've just got so much money going into the celebrities involved in this, yeah. in this movie. Um, So yeah, it's written by them and it is sung by the wonderful Billy Joel. Mm. Again, absolute superstar. Uh, If you've never heard of him, you've probably most definitely heard of The Piano Man. If you haven't heard of Billy Joel, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? (laughs) But uh, he wrote The Piano Man. So if you recognise this. He says, son, can you play me a memory? I'm not really sure how it goes. Sweet and I knew it complete When I wore a younger man's clothes That's Billy Joel. Okay, yeah, moving yeah. on. <laughs> so the other person that wrote, uh, wrote this song was Dan Hartman, who was um, another fairly famous American muso. He did a bunch of songs that, according to Wikipedia, were really big but I've never heard of. Mm. Um, he had a group called the Edgar Winter Group.
2: Never
1: heard of it. Great. I'm not the only one called cool one here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, stackers. come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he had a few um, singles that were charting high and that's all I really have to say about him because, yeah, it's just stuff that I don't think any, anyone's yeah. ever heard of. Nope, anyway, enough. moving on. <laughs> so I rated this song not quite as high as you. Um, I gave it three and a half. For music because I thought it was a bop. It wasn't life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it two and a half for lyrics because I thought it was quite cool. But again, it's like that pop music structure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was alright. Um, animation I gave it two and a half. I really just thought the animation was bogus in this i gave it a really high one in the opening number because they weren't talking but yeah, as soon as yeah, i fair. saw them yeah. singing i was like what is going on <laughs> um contribution i gave three because yep. i think it does a really nice job of introducing that character mm-hmm. and cake score i gave two and a half basically all i can remember is why should i worry yeah. why should i care <laughs> do, 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 do. no idea what the rest of the song is but uh yeah definitely my um, one of my favourite songs in the show and definitely the most catchy
2: yeah he's just got such a distinct voice yeah I love his voice
1: yeah 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 it's very um. Uh, what's it come out Virginia don't let me
2: wait
1: um, only, only the Good Die Young, young. Yeah. yeah it's sort of in that it vein, is yeah. sort of yeah and
2: that would have been around about this time as well I think it might have been slightly earlier in the 80s but yeah he's definitely in, uh, in prime territory yeah
1: yeah have you
2: yeah. ever seen him live
1: I've watched a concert of him live, but I've never physically seen him live.
2: I don't know if he still does it, but he had the residency at the um, uh, Madison Square Gardens and I would have loved to have seen him there. But obviously we haven't been able to go anywhere for a couple of years. So Mm. who knows? Who knows?
1: That's what happens.
2: Um, And then we are introduced to the gang and uh, Fagin in particular, voiced by uh, Dom DeLuise, I believe. Is that correct? Fagan, yeah,
1: yes, yeah. How do you know him? I know him.
2: <laughs> okay, so stupidly, <laughs>
1: sounds like I am asking you how how you know him personally. Yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. Know well... with?
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's my uncle's cousin's former <laughs> roommate. Now, um, I stupidly I know him mostly from Robin Hood Men in Tights. <gasps> oh
1: yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> just the guy with the cotton balls in his mouth. Um, Men in
1: tights, tights, tights.
2: But I also know him. I was a big Stargate fan growing okay. up, and the Deloises are hugely involved in the production of Stargate SG-1, the, the 10-year-running TV show, and he appears in an episode as like a um, a program, essentially, like a hologram.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So that's my that's my experience with Dom DeLuise. How do you know right. Dom DeLuise?
1: Well, I don't, but I'm just scrolling through his very extensive um, credentials on Wikipedia. Mm. And I've just seen in 1994, he was the baker in an episode of The Magic School Bus. And oh, it just reminded okay. me of how obsessed I was <laughs> with The Magic School Bus.
2: Yeah, oh, the Magic School Bus it
1: was so what good. A, miss, miss Frizzle, what and a
2: time! What a time to be alive! Yeah,
1: the the body going through the like the video games, the going through the body and going through space were like just the two that I was absolutely obsessed with. Yeah, yeah. And now, now I really, really, really want to play the Magic School Bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really fun and educational. Okay.
2: Oh, that's it. Yeah, as long yeah. as it's educational as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's. Uh, yeah, so Dom DeLuise plays Fagin, the down in his luck uh, homeless man, I'm guessing he is, uh, who owes money to Sykes. Uh, now, in order to pay back that money, everyone goes out to try and uh, steal from people, and we get Streets of Gold. Ooh, I I don't remember this song at all. I Look, I remember that it exists. I rated it as a two for cake, but I think I'm going to have to take that down to a zero because I, I genuinely don't remember how it goes. I've completely forgotten it. And I watched the movie this morning. So it's a shame because I do remember thinking it was really good.
1: No, I'm, I had two as well. I'm like, let's just change that to zero. Cause mm, it's a shame because
2: I, I do remember it being a really good song. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I so I rated this at a four for music, and a three for lyrics, uh, a three for animation, a two for contribution, and now I've changed that to a zero for cake
1: and a zero for cake. Mm. Great. I gave this a two for music, a two for lyrics, a three and a half for animation, mm-hmm. a uh contribution, contribution. A four for contribution and a zero for cake.
2: All right.
1: Yeah. So, Streets of Gold. This was written by... So many tabs open. This was written by Dean Pitchford and Tom Snow. Yeah. Dean Pitchford is really famous for writing the music for Footloose and Fame. Uh, Okay, yeah. Not all the music, but the songs that you know, they're his. (laughs) Yeah. It's the easiest way to put it.
2: Because we've got to cut loose foot loose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the lyrics for this were written by Tom Snow. Now, Tom Snow is one of those guys that's just written music for everybody and anyone. Mm-hmm. So he's written music for like Cher, Bette Midler, Christine Aguilera, and everything in between.
2: And he's also <laughs> the um the the famous, more famous younger brother of Jon Snow. <laughs>
1: He's the guy that knows everything. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, he's he's got a huge, huge career, and his Wikipedia page is massive. Mm. Um, he also co-wrote the music for The Lion King Two: Simba's Pride. Oh,
2: okay. With a a really awesome song in it. Um, he lives in you,
1: mm. which he uh, co-wrote the music with with Jack Feldman, who also worked on this film on a different song. So right. there's like an interesting link there yeah. but they wrote streets of gold and when you think about like dean pitchford and fame and footloose that song like you definitely could think yeah, yeah. That'd, be, that'd be in fame yeah
2: <laughs> <Okay>. yeah absolutely
1: <laughs> i'm amazed um diane cara was diane cara or something was the singer in fame yeah anyway i'm amazed she's not doing it but that song is sung by ruth pointer who like i said before i'm amazed it's not Cheryl lee ralph because she's an incredible singer yeah but that was sung by ruth Pointer.
2: okay Hmm. Um but now we get to uh bet Midler well, not <laughs> quite i mean we we uh we as we've sort of said, Oliver ends up in shenanigans and he gets taken in by this rich young girl, and uh that family already owns a very pompous poodle called uh ooh. What was the poodle's name? It was... Georgette. Georgette. There we go, yeah. And we get this song to introduce us to Georgette. Perfect isn't easy.
1: Not for my vanity, but for humanity. Each little step a pose. See how the breeding shows. Sometimes it's too much for even. Now, it's really interesting because until this point, the previous three songs have been very, very 80s. We've got a lot of synthesizer, uh, a lot of synthesized instruments, so there's not Mm. really any real instruments in it. We've got um, very... Digitalized drums. Yeah. Um, it's it's super like hip in the 80s. And it's the kind of stuff that like, you know, when you think of like hip to be square or that sort of stuff, that, that's what you think of. And even the yep. um, effects that they put on the vocals with like heavy reverb, um, it's very, very 80s. And then you get this and it's like, okay, is this mm. a different movie?
2: <laughs> it's very Broadway. Like it, it's a very Broadway number.
1: And I freaking loved it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I really liked it as well.
1: Bette Midler just like, she crushes it. It's so good. She kills it. She
2: crushes it. Absolutely. I'm getting all happy
1: just thinking about it. I was like, this one's so great. (laughs) So I gave it a four for music. Yep. Four for lyrics. Yep. Four for animation. Uh She lost the one point because, yeah, the mouth just wasn't moving. I really liked the sequence, but her mouth wasn't moving. So I was like, yeah, I'm taking a point off.
2: Fair. Um,
1: I gave it a four for contribution mm-hmm. and, unfortunately, a one for cake because as much as I loved it, I do not remember it.
2: No, fair enough. Fair enough. Mm. Um, I rated it at a four for both music and lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, a three for animation, a three for contribution, and a two for cake.
1: Two for cake. Can you sing something to me?
2: <laughs> I think I've got the same issue that I had with Streets of Gold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me just yeah. <laughs> each little step a pose Yeah, the breeding shows ah, something like that okay. I, I'm going to change it to one I'll change it to yeah. one
1: <laughs> it's hard it's so hard and like you know, some people might be thinking, you only watched that movie once, but I still remember. Why should I worry? Yeah, exactly.
2: Like, yeah. No, it's the same exactly. as like
1: Encanto, as as blah as I thought those songs were, I remembered. We don't talk about Yeah, pool, no, yeah. no, You know, it's just like that song that you leave humming, that's, that's your cakes. Yeah. For, you know? Yeah.
2: No, absolutely. Um, Agreed.
1: Yeah. So this song was written by three people. Mm. Takes three people to write a good music theater number, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it was written by Jack Feldman, Bruce Sussman, and Barry Manilow.
2: Oh shit, Barry Manilow! <laughs>
1: yeah, because we didn't have enough celebrity in this movie. So, wow. Jack Feldman. Jack Feldman was um, a pretty big Disney writer, so he wrote, uh, co-wrote the music for the Lion King two newsies with Alan Menken, right. the live action yeah, one yeah, with yeah. a very young um, Batman. Yeah, what's his name? Christian Bale. Christian Bale.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he also co-wrote, he wrote the lyrics for Copacabana. Yeah. Which is funny because the music was written by Bruce Sussman and it was uh. sung by Barry Manilow. And I think he actually co-wrote, might have co-written that song as well. So basically the team of Copacabana wrote this Broadway number.
2: That is a very strange lineup because... Copacabana is a very sort of storytelling song, but it's not really Broadway, I would say. And well, this... there
1: is now a um, Broadway yeah.
2: musical. True, yes, yeah, but you know, <laughs> there's a Broadway musical called Mamma Mia, and that yeah. so. <laughs> um, but like, this is very much a like old school Broadway number.
1: Yeah, I mean, for those of you who have never heard Copacabana, it came out in 1978. It sounds like this. I thought-
0: Copacabana, the hottest spot north of Havana.
1: He at
0: the Copa, Copacabana. Music and passion
2: were always the fashion at the Copa. Her name was Lola. L- she, she was she a, was sugar. a
0: sugar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't like really scream. Like this is very different. This is very stage musical. Yeah. Though. Broadway number.
2: But very specific stage musical as well. Like, it's very specifically a Bette Midler stage musical number. Yeah. It's very, very... It's very cool the way that they've encaptured that, but also very strange, considering the rest of the music in this movie.
1: Yeah. It's super un-80s, and I guess, like, it might be trying to establish... Uh, a musical difference between the real world and this like mm. make believe little world she's gotten in her head where you know life is just perfect because she is perfect. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you you could never see her walking on the pavement outside. You yeah, know, heaven forbid. Yeah. So um it does create that really nice musical divide. Um but yeah it's just like it's weirdly very different. Mm. Mm. But that was never going to be the pop single. No, but
2: it was an enjoyable <laughs> song nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then we get into disappointingly uh, the because it's not great, but also, you know, I'm enjoying this movie. Disappointingly, the last song in the movie called "Good Company," and we get this when uh, is it Penny? Is that her name? No, no. It, Penny's the one that she's supposed to look like. It's Penny's uh, the
1: one that she looks like. Her name what the is. Heck is her name? G-G Jenny. Ireland? Jenny.
2: Jenny Penny. Um, Jenny officially adopts Oliver. Yes. And gives him his collar. And this is Mm. called Good Company.
1: I thought this sounded so much like scales and arpeggios.
2: It did. And especially when it started off with them at the piano and yeah. he was like stuffing around with the, the keys. I was like, oh, here we go. And it is kind of similar in that it is similarly boring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. And I feel bad for feeling so harshly about it. But it's not. It's just a very blah song, especially when it's like your last song in the movie. Like there's a reprise of... Um, Or a reprise, sorry, of, uh, uh, it's not Streets of Gold, it's um, Why Should I Worry, I think, uh, at the very end. But it's, there's a long time between the two. And so this is essentially the last song in the movie.
1: Yeah. So, this was written by two men. Ron, I think it's Roka, or it'll be Rocha, Uh I'm not sure, Mm R-O-C-H-A, and Robert Minkov. So, Robert Minkoff was an animator who, for some reason, ended up co-writing this song. Um, it's
2: explaining a lot.
1: <laughs> and he ended up being the co-director of The Lion King.
2: Right.
1: This is very much a blip on his resume <laughs> when you think about that. He co-directed The Lion King and Stuart Little, and the sequel to Stuart Little.
2: Right, okay.
1: So, yeah, it's just an interesting one. Ron Roker, of Rocha on the other hand, doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so... <laughs>
2: He does not exist. He, he does not exist. He was a, a ghost writer. <laughs> <laughs> it was just but Robert I, Minkov, like, sending yeah. letters to himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really liked this song. I thought it was just really sweet. Yeah. Um, I liked it a lot more than scales and arpeggios.
2: Agreed.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I gave this a two and a half for music,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a two for lyrics, a three for animation, mm-hmm. a four for contribution, because I just... I just adore that relationship and the way that she... Uh, it just really explains, like, the importance of that kitten to her, that, like, she just really wanted that friend. Yeah, and, yeah. No, I just thought it was beautiful. And I gave it a zero for cake because I don't remember it at all. But according to my scores, I liked it at the time. Yeah, <laughs> no,
2: we're, we're quite similar on that. I gave it a, um, a three for music, a two for lyrics, three for animation, three for contribution, and a zero for cake. Yeah. It's just after... Yeah, like this is it's this it's a, I'm trying to think what I want to say. It's almost like the movie just kind of falls over in the second half a little bit and they start just going what other styles can we bring in? You've written a song, cool. Let's put that in. You've written a song, awesome. Like there's it gets disconnected. And yeah. like like I said, I love the song that Bette Midler sings. I think it's I think she does it so well, but it is disconnected from the rest of the movie. And then this song is disconnected again from everything that's come beforehand. It's not like it's even connected to perfect isn't easy. It's completely different to that as well. So
0: yeah.
2: um yeah, it does sort of just suffer a little bit, but it's it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. No. It's a
1: it's a lovely film. Any cut songs from this one?
2: I could not find any, no. I'm sure there must be, considering the number of composers and the number of writers. And I feel was like we only gong
1: show where they came in and just auditioned yeah. a song and it was like, "Yeah,
2: that'll do." Nope. that's going in, Oliver and Co. <laughs> that's going in, Oliver and Co. Um, yeah, no, uh, not that I could see, or not that yeah. I could find. Overall, though, yeah, not a bad movie. Considering it not just it, it never existed in my mind, I was expecting garbage, and I got um, a lovely three course meal.
1: Yeah and I think if you're, if you're picking a movie to show like a young person I think this definitely would be a really good one. Mm. I'd recommend this far above like The Rescuers.
2: Yeah and even Great Mouse Detective because you know I, I enjoyed The Great Mouse Detective but it is like it's it's kind of adult I guess towards the end there it gets very intense and dark. This has mm. a very sort of grim end for the bad guy but it's not like it's not when i say it's very violent it's not shown on screen it is it is all implied
1: yeah but like that scene where fagin's got his head through the the window yeah, of the limousine yeah. and then he brings the window and up and closing nearly, like, decapitates it decapitates yeah. him. yeah i was like it is intense <laughs> that is actually a good point <laughs> yeah, yeah kids movie like yeah. don't try that at home kids you mm. will actually like do some Yeah
2: you know kids damage. aren't too young to learn the evils of capitalism okay so <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah but it is it's it's a good movie I yeah like i said expecting not a lot and enjoyed it
1: Hmm and starring uh, Joey Lawrence and not Jonathan Taylor Thomas as <laughs> Oliver <laughs>
2: Um, if you it's look at a current picture of Joey Lawrence, he looks quite handsome.
1: Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean I know who he is. No, no. And then I was like, oh, was he on Friends? I'm like, no, Joey's a character. No, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it's just when, you, when like, you, you, they, people say, you know, oh, you've got a, a face for radio or whatever it is. Yeah, like, yeah. this guy doesn't have a face for radio. This guy's. Uh... Oh, he
1: was on Celebrity Big Brother. He hosted it. Oh, did he? Oh no, he didn't host it. He was a house guest. He came ninth.
2: Right, okay. On
1: Celebrity Big Brother. Oh. Huh. There you go. That's his claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs>
2: After appearing as Oliver. Celebrity <laughs> yes. Big Brother.
1: That was <laughs> you could only go up from there. Um, all right. Do we
2: have a winner?
1: We do, but do we want to hear hey, AJ not
2: I yeah, Angie enjoyed this movie, uh, as uh, as did we. Um now it was um it's quite funny because I went into it knowing that this was a take on Oliver Twist, but I guess I didn't Relate that to Angie because we're sitting there watching it and she's listening along. And then um, when they come back to the to the the den and Fagin isn't there yet, one of them says something like, "Oh, this will you know we'll give this to Fagin or Fagin will like this or something." And she turns to me, she goes, "Fagin, well, that's original." Oh wait, I just got it. <laughs>
1: Angie,
0: you're a disgrace
1: to the musical theater community. Get out. <laughs> All righty, we have a winner, not a clear winner, but a winner. Okay, yep. And it is currently ranked in eighth place on the overall score. Hey. Why, Why
0: should, should I, I worry? worry? The
2: Um, so what, so, what came second? Like, cause you said it wasn't uh, a clear winner. What was, uh, what was close second?
1: Perfect isn't easy got 32. So why should I worry? Got 34. Perfect ah, isn't cool. easy got 32 yep. and not far behind that once upon a time in New York city got 29. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-mm. They just lost out on cake scores really, but yeah. Otherwise, you know, they were, they were pretty good songs.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well that's um Oliver and Company from nineteen eighty eight. Next up we are going right into the Renaissance and
1: Right into the Renaissance, into the the endless stream of Disney movies that's about to happen. There's One so a many. year, as Katzenberg promised. So many. And we'll be kicking it off with
2: The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid.
1: Ding ding ding, we've made it. Yay. <laughs>
2: This does I, feel um, like a, a, just a milestone that we've reached and I'm just, I feel exhausted.
1: I'm so excited. My, um, I was talking to my friend, Paul, who is a fan of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Paul. And he said, um, stays, like you keep saying, we're nearly at the Little Mermaid when are you actually going to do <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's hard to because we release episodes every second week. It feels like, oh, we're only two movies away, but that's in like six weeks. You
0: know?
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's because we can see how many tabs across it yeah, is, but yeah. for <laughs> listeners, that's like months away. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, but look, thank you for joining us uh, for Oliver and Company. Um, and yeah, look, until next time, guys.
1: I'm Stackers. And
2: I'm Will. Bye. Bye.
1: Uh, let's jump into some Stats with Stackers.
2: Stats with
1: Stackers. Yeah. Stats with
0: Stackers. Stats with Stackers.